therefore to find out what the therefore is therefore. And so uh, what he's saying is the first three chapters, and then in chapter 4 he says, therefore, if these things are true, and they are, if this is who you are in Christ and who he is in you, and the, and, and the things you have because of these positional truths, then this is the way we are to live. So the first three tell us who we are, the position he's given us. And then the, the last three chapters tell us th this is the way we're supposed to live because of the position that he's given us. And then we're going to see in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 4, that maturity is not a fruit of what we know. I mean, we need to know things. Uh, but maturity does not manifest through what we know. Maturity manifests through how we live. Uh, especially how we handle interpersonal relationships. You know, I've heard people in the world say the world would be great if it weren't for people. Well, I've heard people in the church say the church would be great if it weren't for people. <laughs> The people is what makes life uh, full of so much that's good and sometimes not great. But our maturity manifests through handling interpersonal relationships pretty much as much as uh, anything that, um, that we have. And so I, I want to begin with, um, let me just pray. I know Nita prayed, but... Um, she prayed twice. I'm going to pray another time. <laughs> I'm not doing this to be religious. I'm doing it because I need it. <laughs> Father, I thank you that you are such a good father. You're such a good father, Lord. You look over us and you see us for who we are. You see our mistakes. You see uh, the things that are imperfect. But, Lord, you love us anyway because you're a father. You have birthed us. You have caused us to be born again by the Spirit. And we thank you for that, Lord. Lord, you have given us your Spirit. And, uh, Lord, the Spirit is the revealer of truth. The Holy Spirit, you've given it. You've given him to us as the revealer of truth. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that you would open our eyes that we might behold wonderful truths from your word, not just so that we can know these things, but so that we can live them, Father. Father, I ask you in Jesus' name for strength. I ask you, Lord, for uh, a supernatural ability to communicate your heart and your wisdom. And we thank you for that today in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul starts out Ephesians 4 by saying, Therefore... I, the prisoner, uh, in, I'm, this is what I'm reading from. I, I, I do this a lot. I'll take various translations uh, that to me convey what it's saying, and I'll put them together. So this is a combination of the Christian Standard Bible and the New Living Translation. I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling that you have received. All of us have received a calling. Uh, we have been called out. And the word call in, in the Greek means to be called out. Uh, the, the word saint in the Greek means called out once. We have been called out of the world into a different path. We have a calling to represent Christ. We have a calling to uh, demonstrate his life and his love and his character and his power to people that are trapped. So that's the calling. It's not a calling like you're called to be a preacher. Some are, but all of us are actually called to proclaim the good things of God. Um, Peter, in his, one of his epistles, he said, God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We once were not even a people, but now we are the people of God. And so uh, he said, I want you to walk worthy of the calling that you have received. To walk worthy. Walk in a manner that demonstrates uh, Jesus' character. None of us do that perfectly. But there is a growth uh, pattern that is to be established in our life. In other words, 
I'm to be better next year than I am this year because I have made myself available to the Lord, to the Holy Spirit, and to those various giftings that he has given to help us grow together. And then he says this. He said, always be humble and gentle. Uh, the word humble is also the word lowly, L-O-W-L-Y. And the word gentle is also the word meek. And it's interesting that Paul picked these out because Jesus in, in, in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, he said, Come to me, all who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. It's the only place anywhere in the life of Jesus on earth that he said, Learn of me. He said, learn of me, and then he said two things about himself. He said, learn of me because I am lowly or humble, and I am gentle or meek. And because that's the only place that Jesus used that term, learn of me, and he spoke two things about himself of being humble and gentle, or actually that word meek also means teachable. I think those are the two of the most significant qualities of Jesus that need to be built into our lives. Uh, pride is a horrible thing. Uh, the Bible, I mean, in so many places, it, it talks about pride, how it is a destructive force. One of the most powerful verses, it says, pride goes before destruction and the Holy Spirit before a fall. People get lifted up in pride and they're setting themselves up for a fall. But Jesus said humility. Paul is saying, be humble, be gentle, be meek, or be teachable. And, and so uh, those are qualities that need to be built into us. And those are built into us, I believe, by, uh, in, our, in our relationship with God, daily relating to God. Uh, and, and having communion with other believers and having real relationships, that really will keep you humble. And, and it, will, it will keep you in a place where gentleness is, is manifested. Gentleness is a great quality. Now, haughtiness is a terrible quality. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults. Uh, my wife's very good at that with me. She makes allowance for <laughs> my many faults. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. And then verse 3, make every effort. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, I'm going to jump ahead to verse 13 in just a minute to just pick up something in that verse. But I want to just emphasize this. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. He doesn't say make every effort to get the unity of the Spirit. He says make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. You can only keep something you have. In other words, if he says keep, it's something that we've already got. So we have unity of the Spirit. But then we want to talk about another type of unity that Paul brings out, which is unity of the faith. But, but let me just say one more thing about unity of the Spirit. Unity of the Spirit is ours because God's Spirit will never lead us into disunity or in opposition to each other. I mean, we have the same Spirit. As Peter read those two verses that we're about to get into, there's one Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. Now, we know there's many spirits in the world, but as far as the church is concerned... There's one Holy Spirit, and He doesn't bring confusion or disunity. Unity of the Spirit is ours because God, God's Spirit will never lead us into disunity or into opposition to each other. Uh, he's not going to lead Mickey to do something that's against me and lead me to do something that, that's against him. 
Even though we have varied gifts and we may be functioning differently, there's a harmony, there's a concert, as it were. And then verse 13 says, talks about unity of the faith. So that, that third verse talks about unity of the spirit, but verse 13 uh, talks about unity of the faith, and it says it's something we must come into. Verse 13, this equipping will continue until we all come to such unity in the faith. Come into. We come into unity of the faith when we're each properly connected to and submitted to the head of the church, Jesus Christ. In other words, if if we are submitted to Jesus, listening to Him, connected to Him, submitted to Him, listening to Him, then there is unity and harmony amongst us. This unity is about all, I want you to get this, it's about all hearing what God is saying and then putting it into practice using our varied gifts and enablements. So, Jesus is the head. We are the body. And He communicates to us by His Spirit and through His Word. And when we're all hearing what God is saying and then putting it into into practice, there's great harmony in the church even though we have varied gifts. You know, think about an orchestra. Um, have you ever heard an orchestra tuning up? Oh my goodness, it's a horrible sound. But once they've got their instruments in harmony and they've got them all tuned up, it's a wonderful thing to hear. And that's the way we are to be, that there's harmony in the body of Christ. And very important, because coming into the unity of the faith is written in the context of being equipped Only people who are properly equipped can come into this unity. And Paul says all, and he's referring to those who are truly being equipped. In other words, if if I'm not really being equipped, see, some people have the idea that all I need to grow is to be born again, come to church, and go home. Come back next week and go home. Come back next week and go home. But, But that's not where growth takes place. I mean, there has to be an, an, a real involvement of hearing what God is saying, of doing what God is saying, not just on my own, but within the body of Christ. We grow by putting things into practice. You really don't grow in the church meeting. That's right. You take in, but the growth takes place out there as you put into practice. That's where growth takes place. And so... Being equipped is not just hearing, it's also doing. And it's having relationship amongst others in the body of Christ. Sadly, we so often have disconnected, disconnected, casual, inconsistent church meeting attenders rather than committed, connected, living stones being built together as a habitation of God by the Spirit. I mean, we, we should all be a part. I, I don't like the term attend church. I don't attend the church. I'm part of the church. How can I attend what I'm part of? I'm not a church goer. I'm part of the church. We should gather together. Uh, I don't even like the word service. I'm not saying you can't use it. It's just personal. I like the fact that we gather together. This is a gathering of the saints on Sunday morning. And so as we gather, this is part of the equipping of receiving revelation, receiving truth. But it's not the totality of equipping. That takes place as we incorporate the truths that we hear into our lives and put them into practice. Inconsistent attenders will not walk in this unity because they're not equipped to do so. So we need to come into the unity of the faith where we're all hearing what God is saying and we're putting it into practice and making a difference in our world. And then in verse 4, 
There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Now it's interesting that Paul put that verse right after he said, it make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And then in this verse, he, he talks about everything that's one. Bob, can you put the first slide up? So first of all, one body. And what is that one body? It's the church, the body of Christ. Uh, there's only one church. Do you know there's only one church in Detroit? Yeah. It's called the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. There's only one church on planet Earth. It's called the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know there's various meeting places. And, you know, when, when Paul wrote this to the church of Corinth, there was really only one church in Corinth. Now, they met in homes. They met in houses. Uh, but there were various denominations. That took a long time for that to begin to happen. So there's one church, which is the one body, which is the church. There's one spirit, which is the Holy Spirit. Now, we know there's many spirits in the world, but he's talking about within the church. The Holy Spirit. He is the one spirit. And he leads us. He doesn't divide us. He unifies us. One hope. The word hope means expectation. One hope of your calling. And I, I put some bullet points under this one particular thing. Even there's one hope of your calling. Now, all of these come together. And, and I want to talk about these just a minute. First of all, we're called to be conformed to Christ's image. That's our destination while we're on earth. Uh, Romans 8 says that. We are uh, to be conformed to the image of His Son. So we're called to be conformed to the image of His Son. Individually and corporately. In other words, as I grow, less of my weaknesses should show and more of Jesus should should. Should show. That's easy to say. And next we're called to represent Christ, His ambassadors. For we are ambassadors for Christ. We're, it's like we're from a foreign place. We're, we're from heaven, as it were. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so an ambassador, like an ambassador of the United States to Great Britain, that ambassador represents the USA to Great Britain. Well, we are ambassadors of Christ. We represent Christ to the earth. And then next, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Uh, uh, Colossians talks about that. Christ in us. That's a mystery, as Paul wrote to the church of Colossians. He called it a mystery. Christ in us, the hope of glory. What does that mean? That means Christ being in Jew and Gentile, manifest in the earth, is the great expectation of all of the heavenly hosts of all time. That's what they were anticipating. And the fulfillment of that came when Jesus hung on the cross, was buried and resurrected, and sent the Holy Spirit, His Spirit, upon us and within us. Christ in us was the expectation of all of the glorious realms of all time. This is what they anticipated. That's just an amazing thing. And then our blessed hope, which is the expectation of Christ's return. And then of living with the Godhead and all of the saints throughout all eternity. I mean, there's much reason for hope, expectation. Because, I mean, if we live to be 120, that's a drop in the bucket for eternity. I mean, this life here is preparation for life there. How I live here determines the rewards I get there. And, and, and we should live this life well, but this is a short, short time compared to all eternity. And then, Bob, if you don't mind putting the second slide up. One Lord, that is our Lord Jesus Christ. One faith. What is that faith? It's the Christian faith. Or as Mark 11.23 says, it's the faith of God. Or as Romans 4.16 says, it's the faith of our father Abraham, who's the father of us all. 
And this is something we need to understand. All other faiths, and I put that in quotation marks, are various forms of unbelief. You know, we, we, we say, well, it doesn't matter. You know, all paths lead to heaven. No, they don't. That's like saying all mathematical equations end up at the same place. They don't. Did you know there's only one way to get to four? If you have two, add two to it. You can try to add one, you won't get to four. Why do we have such an ordered universe? We have such an ordered universe because we have such a meticulous, ordered God. Uh, you know, I was reading something the other day that if, if, if some of the planets were just a tiny, tiny bit off and other parts of the universe, then this whole thing could not work together. And some people have just swallowed hook, line, and sinker the idea that we came from swamp gas or toads or something. No, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You cannot have this amazing universe with such design without believing in intelligent designer. And, and, you know, religion is not the answer. Christianity is not a religion, even though Christians can get very religious. It's all about a relationship. It's about, you know, religion seek God. The difference really between uh, following Jesus and religion is this. All religions of the world try to, uh, try to change themselves by seeking after God. But in, 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 in Christianity, in, in what happened was God came to us and he changed us from the inside out. Religions try to change themselves from the outside in. But God comes to us and he changes us from the inside out. And so every other religion of the world is just another form of unbelief. You know, just like there's only, you know, if you have... If you have two molecules of hydrogen, the only way you're going to get water is to put one molecule of oxygen. If you have two molecules of hydrogen and you're trying to get water and you end up putting a sulfate mo molecule to it and drink it, you just drank sulfuric acid. In other words, it's an ordered universe because we have a very ordered God. And God is. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth. He said, I didn't, he didn't say, I am a way, I am a truth, I am a light. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the light. No one comes to the Father except through me. You say, well, that's very closed-minded. Well, it's very closed-minded to believe that you can only get four by adding two and two. So I, 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 this is so important that we understand this is fundamental. There's only one faith. There's only one faith, and that's the Christian faith. Secondly, thirdly, fourthly, whatever, one baptism. Well, you know, the Bible talks about three baptisms. It talks about water baptism. It talks about being baptized in the body of Christ. And it talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But Paul is emphasizing the second one that I mentioned. Being baptized or immersed or being connected to, placed into the body of Christ like it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit were we all baptized into one body. In other words, when, when we were born again, the Holy Spirit takes us and he connects us to the body of Christ. We're immersed into each other. We become part of one another. And that's the baptism he's referring to. The Holy Spirit taking us and placing us into the body of Christ. Then he says, one God and Father of all. Uh, there's many compound Hebrew names for God. I chose El Elyon. El Elyon is the most high God, the supreme one. And in uh, Ephesians, Paul writing says, he is above all. That talks about his authority, his supremacy. He has no rival. He has no equal, as we seem fairly often here. So he's above all. Next, he's through all. The all here is talking about all of this is relative to the church. He doesn't work through all things out in the earth, but he does work through all in his church. This is talking about the realm where he works. He functions through his people, his church. And then it says he's in all. That is, all believers, his residence. We are his temple. 
And, and so that, that, that just, uh, to me, it encapsulates what Paul is saying about the unity of the Spirit. And then verse 7. Paul mentioned this last Sunday morning. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. That's just simply saying, I have a gift, you have a gift, you have a gift, you have a gift, and I have grace. And, and first of all, Christ measured what gift I'm supposed to have. Your gift is not less than mine. My gift is not more than yours. We each have, have gifts and we have grace in order to function in those gifts. Now, now that word grace here, it's the same, it's, it's, it's the word, the word grace is the same throughout, but there's various understandings of grace, various types of grace. There's the grace that God came to us and gave us the salvation we did not deserve. But this grace here is talking about a functional or enabling grace. Um, it's, it's grace, like Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, um, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was upon me. So this grace is like, it's an ability to do what you cannot do. It's an ability that God gives us to do what we don't have the natural ability to do. And so he gave me a gift to function in, or multiple gifts. It's not just one gift we have. And the way I function in the gifts that he gives is by his grace. So grace is given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. He measures out a gift, and with that gift comes a grace, an ability to do, operate in, the gift that he's given me to do. You've heard Paul talk about how that he never, ever, ever, ever desired to speak publicly. And yet God gave him that gift. I, I had a similar situation. I was shy. I was timid. Uh, I didn't like to be before people. And, and I was afraid. But God gave me a gift. And with that gift, he gave me grace to function in that gift. And so if you feel like you can't do what you feel like God wants you to do, join the crowd. But there's grace available Amen. to do that. Yeah. And then we, we get into the real, really the heart of the message of what I really want to spend the majority of time on today. Because these verses are about us being equipped. It's such an essential. You know, I remember back in the 80s, there was so much te teaching on the fourth chapter of Ephesians, especially on the equipping gifts or the fivefold mini gifts or gifts, the ascension gifts. They have many different names. I, I personally like to call them the equipping gifts because that's a real functional title. Um, and yet, as much as there was taught there was very little equipping um, taking place. I'll explain that in just a minute, but beginning with verse 8, for it says, when he ascended on high, Jesus, when Jesus ascended on high, of course that's talking about after the resurrection, he took the captives captive. You know, people that died before Jesus went to the cross, uh, they went to a place that the Bible calls Abraham's bosom. Uh, and the righteous ones, those who had, who had put their faith in God. They weren't righteous like New Testament people are righteous. But you know, Jesus is called the firstborn of many brethren. In other words, he was the firstborn out of the grave. And that ushered in, just like when Jesus was on the cross and his body was broken, the veil in the temple was torn, ushering anyone who has faith to come into the presence of God. Well, when Jesus died 
and was buried and then resurrected, what that did, that ushered in all of those in the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and Isaiah, and Ezekiel, and all of them to be totally free to come into the presence of God. They were in a place called Abraham's bosom. They were not in torment. Uh, those who died without uh, faith, they went to a place, some, some translations say hell, some say Hades, but it's really Hades because um, it, it, it wasn't hell. Hell is real, I'm not trying to say that. But there was a separation. There were those who were, who were separated from God and then there were those in Abraham's bosom. Well, when Jesus ascended on high, he took the captives captive. That is, he took those with him. And then it says he gave gifts to men. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? He descended to get people out of that place. They were not in torment, but they were not in the place. This is, if you were formerly Catholic, this is not, what's that limbo place called? Um, purgatory. It's not purgatory. It's not that. It, it, this is, and there's several places. I just don't have time to reference that, but there's several places in the scripture that talks about that. The one who descended, Jesus, is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And then we come to verse 11. And these are the gifts that he gave He gave apostles, he gave prophets. He gave evangelists, he gave pastors and teachers. And I'm reading this from the New Living Translation. Their responsibility, the responsibility of those five that I just mentioned, is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church. Now let's stop right there a minute. So the, the, the function of the five Equipping gifts is to equip God's people, you people. Equip us to do God's work. See, a lot of people have the idea that those five are the ones who are supposed to do God's work. Well, we are, but we all need to do God's work. We all need to do God's work. And I mentioned back in the 80s how there was so much teaching on this. And I think one of the main reasons there wasn't much equipping was that those five never got out of the way, never released people to function in their giftings. You know, there was all, it was all just the preachers doing all the, all the performing. No. So their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and to build up the church or edify, build up the church, the body of Christ. And then Paul writes how long this will continue. Some people believe that apostles and prophets no longer exist. But Paul said this will continue until we all come to such unity of the faith. We're not there yet. And knowledge of God's Son, that means an intimate uh, knowledge, a practical living out knowledge. We're not there yet. And that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. But we're not there. But there are whole denominations, many denominations, that say apostles and prophets died when John died. John was the last apostle. And I'm not sure who they say the last prophet was. Well, that's two out of the five. That's 40%. 40% of the equipping gifts are dismissed out of hand. So little wonder there's not full equipping taking place. But Jesus gave these gifts, and I'm convinced that there are people who don't even know they're apostles and prophets. They know they're in the ministry, but they don't know they're apostles and prophets, but they are and Jesus has still used them. And then verse 14 says, Then we will no longer... This is, this is what equipping looks like. We will no longer be like immature... Excuse me. We will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever... They sound like the truth. In other words, equipping takes those weaknesses out of us. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. 
growing in every, every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Now listen to this. This is a part that all of us have to play in the building up of the body. As each part does its own special work, each of us has special work to do in the body. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. In other words, none of us are to be passive spectators. Now, all of us, in a sense, are kind of like that during this particular time on Sunday morning. But there's, there's something beyond this. And that is becoming functioning amongst one another and in the world. So as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. All right, let's go to the next slide. Uh, this is... Uh, oh, here. What have we got here? There we go. He gave apept to, so that we can be adept. A-P-E-P-T, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers make us adept at being what we're supposed to be. When the Holy Spirit, well, let me say this. Where did Jesus? Where did Jesus get these gifts to distribute? He says, when he ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. Well, when Jesus came up out of the Jordan River waters at the beginning of his ministry, he had been baptized, and when he came out of the water, then the Spirit of God descended upon him. And it was at that point that these gifts came into Jesus because I don't have time because we just don't have time. But you can find scriptures that Jesus was the apostle. He was the prophet. He was the evangelist. He was the shepherd pastor. He was the teacher. So God put all of those in him because the second chapter of Philippians says that Jesus, when he came into the world, he emptied himself. He made himself of no reputation. He divested himself of all divine privileges. And so he was born in a manger as a baby, not with a fully developed intellect, thinking, I can't wait till I'm 30 so I can do some miracles. He was a baby and he, he lived his life. By the time he was 12, he knew that he was God's son because he had emptied himself of all of those things. But it wasn't until the Holy Spirit came upon him that he began to function in the supernatural. He didn't do a supernatural thing until after the Holy Spirit came upon him in the Jordan River. And, in, and part of what happened to him when he was anointed with the Holy Spirit was that all five of those gifts came into him. And when he ascended on high, he took those out of him and he distributed them into the earth to go to those that have those callings on their life. And that's still happening today. So uh, here's the way I like to look at it. Rather than calling myself a particular gift, a teaching gift, I have a teaching gift. I don't teach by natural ability. It's something that God gave me. But in a way, I don't call myself a teacher. There's a gift in me that functions. In other words, Rodney Lloyd is not teaching you. John put it this way in one of his epistles, said, you have the Holy Spirit and you don't need anyone to teach you, but the Spirit himself teaches you. And so I, I'm just simply saying that the, the, the gifts come from Jesus. He had them and he gave them. Okay, let's put up slide four. So we read in verses 12 through 16 of the responsibility of the five equipping gifts. And here's the list of the conditions that these five are sent to rectify in God's people. Now all of these are conditions within the body of Christ. First of all, disunity. I don't know why this thing is messing up. Ignorance of the Son of God and His ways. 
immaturity, living far below the standard of Christ, living as irresponsible children, unstable, tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. gullible and susceptible to lies that sound like the truth. You know, gullible is a, a real weakness in the church. All you have to do is turn on uh, television, somebody prophesies, and everybody believes it. Did you know that everybody that stands up and prophesies, the first responsibility of the church is not to believe it, but to judge it? In other words, we can't become the gullible, but we many times are gullible. And then the next slide. This continues our conditions, our weaknesses. Untruthful and not living a life that demonstrates love. Not growing into Christ's likeness. The inclination to disunity. Individualistic. Not willing to be shaped so we fit into the body of Christ according to the way Christ has gifted us and called us and wanted to position us. Non-functioning, that is not working. Like this tablet is not working. <laughs> Self-focused and not helping others grow. I'm just going to have to put it down here, I think. Yeah. Unhealthy. Unloving. So, so those are the conditions that equipping will rid us of. And I, I don't know, but as I, as I went through these things, I saw those things, you know, as part of my life. Some gone, not all totally gone. This is dysfunctional. And, and I'm not writing about bad or mean or wicked people. I'm writing about Christians loved by God, forgiven Redeemed and regenerated, but unrenewed, untrained, and unequipped. And, you know, you could, you could look at any congregation. I'm not being judgmental, but uh, I can think back over the years. I re I've thought of this more than once, that, you know, a, a couple, a husband and a wife, they're, they're in church regularly. And, and one responds to the truth, the other one doesn't. One grows, the other one doesn't. And so this is up to, it, it's up to the equipper to do the proper equipping, but it's up to the individual being equipped to receive what's being put out. That makes all the difference in the world. Well, what will rectify these conditions? God's people being equipped to do His work and then those people doing the work. In other words, putting into practice what you're hearing. In other words, if, if I hear teaching on forgiveness, that doesn't mean I've been equipped to forgive. But if I hear teaching on forgiveness and I get active about forgiving people and I keep forgiving people and I keep forgiving people, then in reality what's happening is I'm being equipped to forgive. And then the next slide, please. Let's look at the results of effective ministry work in rectifying these conditions. The church being unified in the faith, a mature and accurate knowledge of God's Son coming from being fully acquainted with Him as a person, King, Lord, and friend. This result does not come only by right theology or doctrine. It comes by interaction with Him and being involved in the truth that you hear. Uh, maturity in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. No longer childish. And then the next slide. Stable. No longer tossed by new teaching. Discerning, knowledgeable, perceptive, so as to not be susceptible to lies. 
honest and walking in love. People growing into Christ-likeness. The church unified with a paradigm of community, not an individualistic mindset. You know, that's one thing that's happening here that I think is so awesome is that we are really, uh, our, our whole shift from being an individual to a community is, is being put before us on a regular basis, not just in teaching, but by demonstration. And then the next slide. People change to where they're willing to be shaped so we fit into the body of Christ according to the way Christ has called us. Believers coming into the freedom of functionality. That is, functioning and working as Christ's body as God intended. Focused on others and interested in their growth and helping them grow healthy and loving. So that's, the, that's what happens when proper equipping takes place. It's the function of the equippers and also those being equipped. Now let's just take the last few minutes and gain some understanding of these equipping gifts. First of all, they're not hierarchical. Apostles are not over prophets. Uh, they're not over pastors. In other words, it's just five different gifts. They're equal, but they just have different functions. So it's not a hierarchy. A lot of people try to make it that. And from our perspective, they're not titles. That's why we don't say Pastor Paul or Elder Paul or whatever. Um, they're not titles. There are, they are offices and they are functions. Now, first of all, apostles. And this is very brief. Uh, I mean, I've written a lot about all of these, but there's no way that we could go with that. The word apostle simply means sent one. In the Greek, that word means sent one. But all of us are sent ones. Jesus has sent us into the world to be his ambassadors. Uh, apostles are foundation layers. Uh, if, if we saw that in Ephesians 2.20, being built, the church is being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. In other words, apostles and prophets of every generation lay the foundation of the church. So apostles and prophets are foundation layers. Apostles are formers, that is, they form. Their function and in gifting involve planting, instruction, correction, and establishing individuals and churches. And like I said, there's so much more about apostles, but that gives you a picture. And then prophets. A prophet is a foreteller. A foreteller is not uh, is not like foretelling, but it's 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 an inspired speaker. Prophets are also foundation layers. Apostles and prophets often work together. The prophet points the direction of the Lord, and the apostle gives form and method, establishing the way to get to that place that the prophet points out. And so um, the prophet is a foreteller and a foreteller. In other words, prophets... Prophesy, but prophets also operate in the gift of the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom, which is a, another subject altogether. Prophets are goads, G-O-A-D-S, pointing us in the way to go, moving us onward, and they disturb the status quo. When God called Jeremiah and Jer Jeremiah was resisting it, he said, I, he said I, I knew you from before you were ever born. I called you to go to root out, to pull up, to destroy, to plant, and to build. So prophets disturb the status quo. That's part of the function. It's not being mean. It's not being angry. It just means that what happens from that gifting disturbs the status quo. And then evangelist. Evangelist means a carrier and deliverer of good news. And they are gatherers of living stones to be placed into God's temple for equipping. Evangelists have a, have a gift. Uh, we're friends with a pastor, and he's an evangelist, but he leads a church, so his name is Pastor. Anyway, in South Africa. And I tell you, that guy could preach on anything and, and give an altar call, 
And it was amazing the number of people that would come forward. There's a gift. Billy Graham had the gift of an evangelist. He would get up, he would say what he said, and I mean, hundreds, thousands come to Jesus. It's a gift. It's not the charisma of the person, it's a gift. Primary calling of the evangelist, though, is not to the lost. Jesus gave all five of these to the church. The primary calling of the evangelist is to equip the church with evangelism. And sadly, that hasn't happened. The church many times just say, no, you, you go out in the harvest field. But we're all to be in the harvest field. So the primary calling of the evangelist is, the, is to the church to equip believers with evangelism. The gift of the evangelist will ignite God's people with passion for the lost of the world. And then pastors. Pastors are shepherds. The care and nurturing heart of Jesus. Uh, pastors have that. But all equipping gifts will have a shepherd's heart to care for people. Actually, all believers properly equipped will have a caring heart for people. But the pastor has a gift from God for nurturing. And then finally, the teacher. The word in the Greek is didaskalos, where we get the word didactic. An instructor, a master, a teacher. And the teacher imparts spiritual skills to the believer in specific areas which are built onto the apostolic and prophetic foundation. And the fruit that comes, the fruit that comes, receiving regular ministry or receiving ministry through the apostle makes us all more apostolic in our understanding. It doesn't turn us into apostles, but it makes us more apostolic. The prophet makes us more prophetic. It flavors us more prophetic. Uh, the evangelist flavors us more evangelistically. The pastor flavors us more pastorally. And the teacher flavors us more didactically. And so uh, these gifts, as they function in us, they make a tremendous impact on our lives. And they equip us. They fit us out to where we're able to do God's work properly. I believe all ministry can be summed up in all five of those giftings. And when we're flavored that way, then we're able to impact the lives of people because those were the gifts that were in Jesus. Those were the gifts that he imparted uh, to, uh, to the church. And the whole purpose of those being imparted to the church, the individuals who have those gifts within them, is so that the church will be equipped to do the work of God in the earth.